0: Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. I want to limit myself to just a few verses this morning, and limit your minds to the application of those four verses, rather than confusing you by going on into verses 17 through 20, which is a distinct and separate lesson, the third lesson of our Lord's Sermon on the Mount. So I want to limit myself to just four verses, and I want to limit you to the simple understanding of these verses But emphasizing the application of them to our lives. The Lord Jesus Christ is still in the introductory part of this sermon, and he will be through verse 20. It's at verse 21 that he begins to open up the doctrine that was so different than what the Pharisees taught, and he's introducing his material up to that point. He described the character of the true citizens of Zion, the true Christians, the true worshipers of God, their character was described in verses 1 through 12 that we looked at last Sunday. In verses 13 through 16, he exhorts those poor, mourning, meek, persecuted, hungering, and thirsting individuals to have an open and public life, displaying. His grace in their lives by keeping His commandments before all men so that there would be a testimony of Him left in the earth against the wickedness of humanity. So He takes the simple saints that He described in verses 1-12 through and encourages them to a public life. One of living out their religion before others. Your life. Your life. Is the only Bible some people will ever read. Are they reading a clear version? Or are they reading one that was translated horribly and has got some comic books mixed in with it? Your life, your life, every one of you individually. Presents the gospel everywhere you go, everything you say, and everything you do. You present the religion of Jesus Christ when you're driving. You present the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ in the cleanliness of the cockpit of your vehicle. You present the gospel of Jesus Christ in your punctuality of being on time to appointments, in the way you respond to offenses and attacks the long-suffering impatience you show toward drivers in front of you, slow waitresses at the drive through or others that irritate you to death. Your religion is on display always. Is it the religion of the rest of this world, or is it the religion of Jesus Christ? How much fruit do you have to your account? Are there any that have repented of their sins and humbled themselves to follow Jesus Christ because of you and the influence you had in their lives by word and deed? Or are you fruitless? Children don't count. We need to ask ourselves questions. We need to ask ourselves lots of questions. God has not saved us just to keep us out of hell. If he had just saved us to keep us out of hell, he could have done that before he ever created Adam and taken us all to heaven. He left us here in the world to be a living witness of his grace before all the wickedness of our generation. Our Father in heaven wants his children looking like his children before the children of the devil. And so we have four verses this morning to get our attention. We're to glorify him. By being an adorning and becoming witness to the truth of the gospel. And to righteousness and to godliness and to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read these four verses to you. Matthew 5 verses 13 through 16. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savour, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out, and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle, and put it under a bushel but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Amen and amen. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, grant that we might humble ourselves before this lesson. That we might not be content with a religion of our heart, or a religion of Sunday, or a religion when we are with our church, or in our homes, but let us be convicted to have a public and open religion that is a visible demonstration to all that see us, that we are living examples of the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ and His perfect life. Help us to be his followers in a visible way before others. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ye are the salt of the earth. Now that is a metaphor. We're not really salt. You're really a man or a woman, a boy or a girl. So there's a comparison being made here. There's no like or as. The Lord didn't say, ye are like salt of the earth. That's a simile. It's a metaphor. It's a comparison. What is there in salt that we ought to be like? What comparison is Jesus Christ making between salt and Christians? There is something there that we should pick up on. Salt. What does it do? Well, it seasons our food and makes it more pleasant. And we certainly season the earth and make it a better place when Christians are living like salt. It's when they lose their savour that they are not improving the earth. Salt is a purgative. Back to salt is a seasoning. Where in the Bible does it say that salt is a seasoning? What man said that the white of an egg is pretty dull without salt? Job. Job knew that the white of an egg is a pretty boring food if you don't have salt to put on it. Salt is a purgative. Was there a baby in the Bible that was bleeding to death in a field because it had not been salted? Ezekiel, Ezekiel 16. It's a purgative in that it kills and drives away disease and decay. Before we had refrigerators, where did you put meat to keep it? If you didn't have ice, what else could keep it? Salt. Have you ever heard of salt pork? Or other ways of keeping food by the use of salt? Salt's a preservative. It's a seasoner. It makes things taste better. It's a purgative in that it drives away decay and death. It's a preservative in that it can keep things from spoiling and cause them to last longer. And it's a destroyer. Just ask anybody who owns a car in Michigan. The salt that is laid on those roads for six months out of the year and splashes up on the undercarriage eats right through metal because salt is very corrosive. Now, in the Bible, they already knew that. Because you can read as far back as Judges, that if you really hated an enemy, after you were done killing all their men, and taking all their women, you would sow their fields with salt, so that if they ever revived their nation, they wouldn't be able to grow anything. And they did that, Judges chapter 9, verse 45. So it's a destroyer. What does the Lord want us to get from this? And it helps by knowing all four verses, of course. Verse 16 does shed light on verse 13. The Lord wants our lives to show and give glory to God before the world. And so we're primarily a purgative and a preservative. We're a purgative by being against and stopping and retarding the advance of sin in the world. Because Christians take a stand for righteousness. If it wasn't for Christians in this world, the world would collapse and be doing things far worse than they are now. The reason that there is some restraint in our nation toward wickedness, and there's little left, because there are few Christians with savour left. The reason that there's some restraint is because of the influence of Christians and what they've had on this nation in the past. Or the whole nation would look like Hollywood. The whole nation would look like San Francisco. Because that's what they all want to do by nature. So we want to be a purgative and stop the decay of sin. And we want to be a preservative in this world by preserving a stand for God and righteousness against all the attacks of the enemy and of sin. We are a a light, as we're going to read in the next verse, for the knowledge of God and of His Son Jesus Christ and of truth and of righteousness. By being salt, we put, we put a style, we put a hand up and stop the descent of man into total chaos and sin. By being salt in the earth, we preserve the kingdom of God and we preserve righteousness and the testimony of the God of heaven among men. You know, back in the days of the flood, there was really only one. He was a preacher of righteousness, but God found him perfect in his generations. What a man. You say, that was a small kingdom of God in those days. It was small, but it was still there. Noah was salt in his generation, and believe me, he was rubbing salt in wounds when he got done preaching, wasn't he? Because there were men in the waters that remembered what he had warned them about, that the judgment of God was coming. Salt. You know, we could spend a lot of time looking at a lot of verses, but we don't need to do that. The Lord is teaching us here that we should have a preserving effect on righteousness in the earth, and we should have a repulsing effect on sin in the earth. And we do that by our words and our deeds. We're salt. We affect the world by our words and our deeds. Now, ministers do it. Ministers are salt in the earth, but so are His saints. We both can resist and reprove sin where we meet it. Look at at Ephesians chapter 5. Keeping your hand always at Matthew chapter 5. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 with me for a moment. Ephesians 5. The Lord expects his disciples to have an effect with the saltiness, not literally, But with the effect of his religion, they should be living it and speaking it so that they retard and drive away sin and preserve righteousness in the earth. If all the people of God just give up, righteousness still exists in heaven, but it wouldn't be on earth. And the Lord is exhorting his humble followers. And believe me, the first 12 verses were certainly a humble lot for them to have a public and open religion. That would maintain righteousness in the earth and stop sin from making all of its advances. We can have a preserving effect and a purging effect in the world. Look at Ephesians 5. I want to read it. Verse 11. The Apostle Paul wrote and said, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. That is another way of saying Matthew 5.13. We don't have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, number one. We reprove them when we have opportunity, number two. Number three, we won't even talk approvingly or acceptably about the things they do in secret, their wicked sins. If there's a group of people on earth, even if they're a minority, even if they're a minority, that won't fellowship with wickedness, no, I can't go with you. No, I won't do that. And then reproves that wickedness, and then will not even talk about it approvingly, but acts with disdain about such sins. If there's even a small group of people that act like that, it restrains sin in the world. But there's very few of those left. And so our nation, if if you were to put our nation's morality on a graph, You know, we've turned over, and we are plunging the the few months or years that it takes for us to come up with something new that is accepted publicly. You know, I am not that old. Sometimes I talk like I'm pretty old. Sometimes I feel like I'm pretty old. I'm not that old. But when I was a boy, it wasn't gay. They were queers and faggots. And you better not come out of the closet because we'll hang you will tar and feather you. That's how the whole nation felt about it. And I'm only 47 years old. What's happened? Now it's totally acceptable. When I was a boy, no one would have thought of two women marrying. No one would have thought of two men walking down the aisle holding hands and kissing while they made marriage vows to each other. It's turned over, and there's a reason. It's called the NIV. It's called the NASV. It's called the RSV. It's called the Living Bible. And it's called Contemporary Worship. It's called Seeker Sensitive Churches. It's called the Mega Church Movement. Those are the explanations for it, because we now have a generation of compromising Christians where there is no one refusing fellowship. Do you know what those churches do? You're all welcome to come here just as you are. Someone told me last week, who owes me a picture, because they wanted to tell me about it, they better bring a picture to show everyone else, of the midsection of a, of a rock guitarist on a billboard with the words, church for those that don't do church. I know who it was now, in the back row on the other side. I wanted everyone to see that picture. Did, did you hear that? If you come back, we promise not to throw the book at you. See, there's no effort anymore to reprove them. They have fellowship with them. They won't reprove them. And they talk about everything the world does openly and acceptably. Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28 and verse 4. I'll show you an easy way to reprove the world of sin. Our nation has, tur- is turning, has turned over. It's no longer a gradual descent. We've turned over and we are plunging into the abyss of immorality and depravity, profanity, and rebellion against God. And there needs to be a nucleus of people. It doesn't matter how many. And it's, it's not for their sake so much as it is for the glory of our Father who has saved us. Right. He did not save you to have your religion at home. He did not save you to have your religion in your vehicle. He did not save you to have your religion in your heart. We need to be bolder, and I fear that sometimes we are too closed in. We need to live it. And when we have an opportunity say something about the glory of Jesus Christ and righteousness and truth, we have all the answers for questions they cannot answer. We have something to say at every event, because the Bible has given us absolute truth. That does not mean we cast our pearls before swine, but we first of all determine if they are swine, Because they may not be. They may be inquirers that are looking for the truth and haven't heard it before. Let's show it to them and then tell it to them. Let's hope they ask for a reason of the hope that is within us rather than thinking that we're as hopeless as they are. Proverbs 28 and verse 4 They that forsake the law Praise. praise the wicked. Isn't that disgusting? Does that make you angry about yourself? Wherever you forsake the law, you praise the wicked. Wives, whenever you do not reverence your husband and submit to him and obey him, whenever you show by body language or your facial expression that you are displeased and unhappy with what your husband has just decided for your family, you are forsaking the law of God and you are praising the wicked. While you sit and grimace at me because I describe two women coming down to an altar in a church and kissing each other with open mouths while they get married, you grimace, but you are praising them whenever you are not the perfect wife at home. Please let me make this sermon as practical as I can. If I just explain salt to you, we have lost. Because the Lord didn't want you to worry about salt. Right. He wanted you to worry about what kind of a life you're living. Marriage is collapsing in our society. I wrote in yesterday's proverb, a heterosexual marriage without a divorce is almost extinct. So you've got to get out in the world and ask people, is this your, is this your only marriage? Because there's few of those left. So one subject, marriage. What can we... God has an opinion about marriage. God ordained marriage in Genesis chapter 2 all the way back in the beginning of the Bible. God compared His relationship to His church to marriage in the other end of the Bible. Marriage is important to the Lord God of heaven. Right. And we're all appalled at what's going on, but do you know what, how we can say the loudest message against the decay of marriage in our country? By having great marriages in our homes. Amen. Right. By the men treating their wives the way they should at home, in public, when their wife isn't around, when they're talking, in every way, and a woman doing the same thing. Look at that verse. Proverbs 28, 4. They that forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. Amen. Do, you really, do you want to fight against the breakdown of marriage in our country? Then have a great marriage. For everyone that knows you and watches you interact with your husband or your wife is put back. Now that's a marriage. Look at how the two of them get along. Look at how she reverences him. Look at how she serves and obeys him. Look at how she loves him. Look at the love they have. Look at the fun they have. Did you just see him pinch her? Every aspect of a good marriage before the world. I love that verse. I almost want to quit right now. I don't want to confuse your minds, but I'm going, to, I'm going to hit more than marriage. Everywhere we go and everything we say in all of our relationships, we are testifying of Jesus Christ. And if we are His true followers, we will be salt. I hope you know what the word salt means now. We are, we are opposing... The the breakdown of marriage. We are a purgative in that we're driving away the decay and disease that's affecting, infecting marriage by living a righteous one. Are Are you with me? Amen. And we're a preservative of God's institution of marriage by having great ones ourselves. Amen. You understand the words? Ye are the salt of the earth. If you lose your savour, if you lose your saltiness, if you lose your saline properties, brother, if you lose your chemical ability to affect other metals and other compounds and other substances, if you're no longer that corrosive thing that salt is, if you no longer have a holy life, a righteous life, a zealous life for the cause of Jesus Christ, then what good are you as my followers? Right. Are you with me on verse 13? If salt has lost its savour, if it's no longer producing that corrosive, preserving, seasoning power, salt can lose it, especially salt in the Middle East. And I do not want to waste time on salt, but I want you to understand what it says here. See, you haven't had salt on the table that lost its saltiness as much as they did. They were used to it, and so it becomes gravel. Salt that no longer has any saltiness is nothing but gravel for your driveway, Because it no longer has the power of affecting anything. For seasoning, a good effect. Or for destroying, a purging effect. Brethren, when it says in here, If the salt have lost his savour, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden under foot of men. This is what Jesus meant. If you lose your zeal for holy living and living a righteous life, then you are worthless as a Christian and you no longer have any reproving effect on the world or any further testifying of my righteousness and my kingdom on earth. Are you with me? Amen. Do you understand that? Amen. It's a wonderful verse. Yes, I've got 40 cross-references for being salt. You know what? They're, it's not worth it to go to any more of them. I've shown you two. Ephesians 5, 10 and 11, 11 and 12, and Proverbs 28, 4. I think you have the message, because I want to get to the application of it. I've given you a couple of examples already, but let's go to the next verse. I hope I've said enough for you to lay hold of it. Amen. We, can, we can slow the descent of our nation. Directly and indirectly. Right. People will be nervous around us to do the things that they're ordinarily doing. Any of you in the workplace, have they, have they marked their language when you're around? Amen. I hope they mark their language when you're around. Verse 14. Ye are the light of the world. Same thing. He's not really making a large difference here at all. Salt. It purges away evil and it preserves good things. Light shines into darkness and opens things up and makes them visible. Light is the knowledge that God has given you of Him, His kingdom, His Son, Jesus Christ, and of righteousness and truth and wisdom. That is not a list just to entertain your ears. Each one of those is important. The knowledge of God. The knowledge of His kingdom. He is a sovereign Lord over all. The knowledge of His Son is the, is the knowledge and faith that overcomes the world that Jesus is the Son of God. That a man walked on this planet that was God in the flesh. This is the faith that overcomes the world and it is the victory that we have over the world that Jesus is the Son of God. How about righteousness? They don't know what's right on any subject. We know what's right on every subject. Truth. The true origin of Man. The true end of man. The true purpose for man. Do you know I just say, said three things that have confounded men since Adam was created? Right. Three questions that they work with all their lives and they do not know the answers and we know them and our children even know the answers to those three things. What's the origin of man? God created man. What's the end of man? The glory of God. He's either going to be in heaven or he's going to be in hell. What's the purpose of man in his life? To glorify God. That's pretty simple, isn't it? And we know all those things. We should let those, those things out at every opportunity we have. We should show it first and speak it second. Ye are the light of the world. Without Christians, it is pure darkness. Can you believe that an enlightened society, and I know I say this often, but see, I'm simple. An enlightened society believing that we came from baboons and monkeys now if you if you divorce yourself from the fact that it's been told you so many times that you are almost willing to accept it to some degree if you would back up just another 100 years or two you would realize that nobody believed anything that stupid at least they had a zeus or some other kind of a god that was involved in the origin of man on planet earth they didn't think that we came from baboons and monkeys that is darkness. That is gross darkness. And listen, those two men walking out of the chapel hand in hand and driving away for their honeymoon, and I'll let your mind take over from there. When men do that, that is darkness. That is what the Bible calls to do things that are not convenient. And I'll let your mind figure out what the inconvenience of that means. It's inconvenient. Anatomies don't fit together very well. God is true. And God is light. And the world is full of darkness. And we need to be the light of the world. Jesus Christ does not want to give us light. And He has shined in our hearts, hasn't He? He has shined in our hearts to show the glory of God in His own face. Because He is the express image of God. He has shined that in our hearts. He shined the knowledge of His Word, truth, righteousness, holiness, wisdom. He's shined it all in our hearts. He doesn't want us to keep it to ourselves. He does not want us to keep it just to our children. But to live it and to speak of it as we have opportunity. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Now because the next verse, I know what this sentence means. It means if designers and planners of a city put it on a hill... It is going to be visible to people far and near. Because see, design is involved because of the next verse that says neither. I love the Bible. Amen. I'm not very smart, but the Lord took care of that for me. Because he wrote the Bible, you know what, they have all these dummy books. Truth for dummies is the King James Bible. Mm-hmm. And any time you stop being a dummy, there's no more truth for you. I don't mean that disrespectfully either. Do you know what verses I can appeal to for that? If you'll make yourself a fool for God's sake, he'll make you wise. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Jesus said, Lord, you've hid these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes. I want to be the Lord's babes and I want, babe and I want to be the Lord's dummy. Truth for dummies. King James Bible. <laughs> Neither. means I've got two things being compared. Men do not light a candle and then put a bushel over it because that would stop its light from shining. When men light a candle and a candle costs money and they're in a house, candles outside don't work all that well because you can't have any breeze at all with a candle. You're inside, but if you have a candle, you put it in a candlestick and get your money's worth out of it so that all that are in the house get some light from it. You put it under a bushel in a corner and there's only a little tiny glow and you have to look for that. Sounds like some Christians, right? May sound like you, may sound like us. We don't want to be a light like that. We want to be a candle on a candlestick that gives light to the whole house. Right. Ye are the light of the world. A city that was put on a hill was put there to be visible by those far and near. Now, I could, I, could, I could preach to you maybe even a tear-jerking sermon about how a city, we're coming to Mount Zion, the city of the great God, the joy of the whole earth, and the bride of Christ, and I could talk about that word city. But do you know what word I want out of verse 14 that has value? It's the word light. Ye are the light of the world. Jesus isn't trying to teach you some great lesson about the church being called a city, and there being a false church that's also called a city. Revelation chapter 17. Please forgive me for this little aside, but I want you to know how I preach the Bible. I know that the word light is what he's going after, because it's verse 16 that summarizes and explains the the whole lesson of the four verses. It's light. Are you light in this dark world? Light opens things up. Light reveals things that are there. God has given us light and revealed the truth of Himself and His Son and the Gospel and wisdom and righteousness and truth and we should be light by our lives showing the light that's been shined into us and then speaking of that light when we have opportunity. Look at Philippians chapter 2. On your way to Philippians, stop by at Ephesians chapter 5 again. Stop by at Ephesians chapter 5. Ye are the light of the world. I have shined into your hearts for you to shine to other men. I have given you a gift of light in a dark world. Do not put it under a bushel. Do not plan your city for the valley. Put your city on a hill and put your candle on a candlestick. And verse 16 will summarize it all for us, that men may see our good works. Ephesians chapter 5, I have already read to you verses 11 and 12. But what if we back up to verse 8? Let's back up to verse 7. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. And that's the wicked that are going to be judged by God, the children of disobedience, from verse 6. Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness. But now are ye light in the Lord. Thank and praise his great and glorious name. Amen. Walk as children of light. Right. You were darkness. I've made you light. Now walk like your children of light. Don't walk in darkness anymore. Be different. Shine on them. Reprove them by your light. Make them uncomfortable because of the spotlight of your good character making them convicted about their evil character. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Are those some of the things I've already mentioned? Those are the th- that's the light that God's given us. That's the fruit of the Spirit in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And that's the light we ought to be showing everywhere. Your goodness, your righteousness, and your truth, of course God gave it to you. And you're not showing it for your praise. You're showing it for the praise of the God who is the God of light and His Son who is the light, who sent light into your hearts. If we come down to verse 13 and skip what we've already read. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. See the world's going along and tripping over things all the time. Trip, trip, trip. You know they're tripping over a poor woman in Florida right now. They're tripping over the origin of man. They trip over labor unions. They trip over everything. But we have light That shows what they're tripping over. They're tripping over their own ignorance and their own errors. Their own sins. And the lies of the devil. And we are to let that light out enough that people can see and make manifest the fact that there is truth and wisdom and righteousness in the earth. Ephesians 5 is a great chapter for that. Explaining Matthew 5.14. Let's go back to Matthew 5. Oh, I said, let's, let's go to Philippians 2. Go ahead. No, I'm going to come back to that. I'm sorry. I'm confused. Matthew chapter 5. I need some light on this sermon. Because I'm tripping over my own feet and wondering where I want to go next. But let's go to Matthew chapter, back to Matthew chapter 5. We have handled verse 13. We've handled verse 14. Verse 15 ought to be obvious because it's part of verse 14 that if, if you're the light of the world. Now, the light of the world means you've got to be shining quite a distance. You've got to be letting the light out. And so either you're a city that was designed for a hill that could be seen far and near, or you're a candle on a candlestick that gives light to all that are in the room or in the house. They didn't have 13-room houses like we all live in. Remember, in the Bible it says, I'm in, children, I'm in bed with my children. They didn't have all the benefits and luxuries that we have. Oh You understand all this. The religion of Jesus Christ is not to be kept private. It's not to be kept for Sunday. It's not to be kept in our homes, in our assemblies, and in our hearts. It's to be let out, lived out, and spoken out. Verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Thank you, Lord, for explaining Salt and light to me perfectly. Let your light so shine before men. What light, Lord? The light of my intellect? No. no, that they may see your good works. The light God has put in us, the knowledge of what pleases God, the knowledge of truth, the knowledge of righteousness, the knowledge of wisdom, we're to let that shine out so that they can see our good works. It will be alarming to them if we were to ever live truly righteous, wise, and truthful lives that they may glorify our Father which is in heaven. The little word so. Let your light so shine. So is an adverb. It's modifying the verb shine. Let your light so shine. So means in the manner specified. What is has He specified. Put your city on a hill and put your candle on a candlestick. And you are salt. Let your light shine in that way. Let it out where it can have a purging effect when it's salt, a preserving effect when it's salt, and a manifesting effect when it's light. Let your light so shine. Get it up, get it out. Where it can be of benefit to others. That they may see your good works. See a visible demonstration The people that you come in contact with all the time. Some of you played a soccer game yesterday. Some of you were spectators at that soccer game. Others of you did all kinds of things yesterday. But you encountered many different people. You encountered checkout clerks in stores. Waitresses in restaurants. Cashiers in gas stations. Neighbors when you went out in the yard. Relatives that you talked to on the phone. Your own children, your own family that was yesterday, a day that you didn't go to work. The days you go to work, you encounter a lot more people. Did you let your light so shine before men that they could see your good works? It's a visible presentation of Christianity by our works to the world. This is what the Lord wants us to do. We want men to see our good works, though we don't do our good works just to be seen. Isn't Jesus going to come home and hammer that before we get out of this sermon? Does he say something like this in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1? Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Now, is that a contradiction? No. You should not have the spirit of the attitude of the Pharisees when you give your alms to men just to get your name being passed around among men. When you give your alms, which is charity to poor people, when you give it, it should be done in private. Your Father in heaven that sees in private will reward it. Don't worry. The person that God is probably going to spread your name well enough. You don't need to go into it thinking about having your name spread. You just want to do it because it's what God told you was right. Right. It's righteous. It's true. It's wise. It's His commandment. It's His love. All these good works are to be flowing out of a Christian. You just do it, and you do it to the Lord. The knowledge of it, the Lord will spread in his own timing. We don't do it out of vain glory. We do it for the glory of God. When it says that they may see your good works, good works are defined by what God says are a good work. It's not by what Bell South says is a good work, except to keep the rules of Bell South is one of God's good works. To obey them, you know, that are putting authority over us in the workplace. But it's what God calls true righteousness. It's not the American way. The American way is no better than the Japanese way. The Japanese way is no better than the aboriginal way. When it comes to the law of God, it doesn't make one whit of difference. God doesn't care for Americans. Americanism is not a cousin to Christianity. We are strangers and pilgrims in this earth. And we've always been strangers and pilgrims. Good works are what God defines as good works. We want men to see our good works, but the reason is the glory of God, our Father in heaven. It's not our glory. And so the Lord's connected all those things, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Not glorify us, because if we do them with true meekness, we'll never be taking any glory for them. We'll always be giving that and redirecting it to heaven. And that's what the Lord wants. Now, what does it mean when it says that some may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven? Can unbelievers see the good works of a believer and be converted by their good works? Yes. Can you think of a verse? How about 1 Peter chapter 3? If a wife submits to her husband like she ought to, she may be able to win her husband without the word without ever leaving tracks. You know the poor man who goes to work every day with a track in his lunch? I'd rather have a woman that meets her husband at the door when he comes home every night and she's not in a sweatsuit. Because that's what the Bible tells me to do. How about 1 Corinthians 7.16 that says, How knowest thou, O man, that you're not going to win your unbelieving wife by sticking with her? How how do you know that? So see, your good works can cause men to glorify God. Can a believer's good works cause other believers to glorify God? Can good works assist the gospel when the gospel comes to someone in the day of visitation, when they're visited by God's mercy and grace, and they've got two confirming witnesses, the word of God being preached and the good works of a believer that they've been watching for a good while? Why would anybody even ask the reason of the hope that is within us unless there is a positive effect from the good works of others? I love this example. The Apostle Paul, in giving his testimony in Galatians chapter 1, about what a wicked persecutor of Christians he was, he comes down to the last verse and he says, they glorified God in me. That's the fulfillment of this. They glorified God in me. As soon as Jesus Christ was revealed to me, and I had the light of the gospel, I began living it. And they glorified God in me. This man, that was once persecuting Christians, is now preaching the truth that he once despised. And they glorified God in me. Do you know what should happen when we go back to class reunions? If you go back to class reunions, they glorified God in me. That's what ought to happen. Let your light so shine before men. Sinners can be converted by believers' lives. Even unconverted pagans can recognize the remarkable change the gospel makes in people's lives. I remember reading a letter from Pliny the Elder to one of the Caesars. I can't. I don't have the letter with me. I've read it a number of times in my life. But his letter was that You're coming out with these these laws about persecuting Christians. But I want to say something on their behalf, that they are the most faithful and loyal citizens that we have in the whole nation. That's men glorifying God for our good works. And that's what we want to have said about us. Now, brethren, can we apply this? Actions speak louder than words. And I I have preached that to you. I've preached to you the many illustrations from the Word of God on what the Bible says about how important your life is. Listen, follow with me. When David sinned, God spoke to David through Nathan the prophet and said, By this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Remember, if you forsake the law, you praise the wicked. When David forsook the law he gave opportunity for the enemies of God to blaspheme because they had an example to do so. Do you know what one of the greatest complaints against Christianity is? Hypocrisy. And do you know what? Their complaint is justified in most cases. Actions speak louder than words. Wouldn't we rather be like Daniel? Daniel. When men are examining our personal and private lives with a fine tooth comb, they can find nothing. He has an excellent spirit and a perfect life. And the only way we're ever going to be able to get dirt on Daniel is to pass a law against his religion. Amen. Let it be slander and malice, but never let it be truth and fact. Daniel was a great man. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 25 The Jews which came down from Jerusalem stood round about and laid many and grievous complaints against Paul. Which they could not prove. That's the life we want to have. That's the life we want to have. Paul said of the Jews in Romans chapter 2, The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. You Jews claim to be worshipping the true creator God of heaven, and yet your lives are so despicable, your religion and your God is blasphemed by the Gentiles who look at your lives. give none offense neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles nor to the church of God is what Paul ordered saints of the New Testament as we have therefore opportunity let us do good unto all men actions speak louder than words abstain from all appearance of evil if any provide not for his own especially for those of his own house. He hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. The good works of taking care of your family thoroughly. Women are to primarily stay at home and be keepers of the home. That does not mean they cannot leave the home. It does not mean they cannot have a job out of the home. But they are to be keepers of the home and not busybodies, wandering about from house to house being tattlers and saying things which they ought not. And when they do that, They take away an occasion from the adversary to speak reproachfully. A yakking woman, a yakking woman who spends too much time on the telephone, too much time in emails, too much time in driving around, going here and going there, is a woman that men despise and women despise. Because they're lazy. That's why they're doing those things. What does the Bible say? They give an occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Our women should be loyal, hardworking, focused, Mothers and wives primarily. And when they leave the house, they're leaving it for a good purpose, to support the family and build the estate, as the Bible teaches. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. Why? That the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. See, that's keeping the savour in the salt. Whenever we work for somebody, we do a great job. So that nobody can say he calls himself a Christian and works like that. He calls himself a Christian and does a shoddy lawn job like that. You know what I mean. You're all wondering who I'm going to pick on next. But you, you know the lesson here. Because look at what it says. that it should be so sobering to us that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Men will blaspheme that our God and our religion and and our doctrine. You know, we're a church that loves Bible doctrine. If we love Bible doctrine, then let's adorn the doctrine of God our Savior with holy lives. Don't just talk doctrine. We need to live doctrine. We need to live in such a way that our doctrine is impeccable. May the Lord help us. For so is the will of God that with well-doing he may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Thank you, Lord. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to take just a couple of more minutes and I want two points. Two points. There are commandments God has given us. There are specific commandments God has given us, and by doing them, the specific commandments God has given us, we live out the knowledge and light and saltiness of the doctrine of God. Then there are character traits of a Christian, spirit traits, fruits of a Christian that we need to think about how we apply them. Let's, let's take a couple of examples. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and how the Apostle Peter spoke about our light and our good works. Verse 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the stole, having your conversation, that's your manner of life, honest among the Gentiles, that, whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. You Jews that are scattered abroad among all nations, so that you're strangers, strangers and pilgrims, And having a warfare, and the Gentiles are accusing you of being evildoers, make sure that your life shows forth good works and shuts their mouths. Then two commandments come up. Two areas of life that are hard for us to to show the Christian religion. Two areas of life. First of all, our submission to civil authority, then our submission to a bad boss. Look at verses 13 through 17. Say this. And I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to start. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. It's the Lord that said, ye are the salt of the earth. It's the Lord that said, ye are the light of the world. How do we show our saltiness and light? This is one way. This is a specific commandment. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. If someone who knows you're a Christian... Sees you speeding. What does that do to your religion? You shame it. Because you have said you're a Christian. And the Bible says, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. It's for his sake. It's Of course it's going to cost you more. That's why there's laws. That's why there's authority. And he goes on to explain he not only means to the king as the supreme authority, but also to governors that are appointed by the king, we should obey every authority. If you're going to build, then get yourself a building permit. When you file your taxes, file them accurately. Follow the tax code. That, this, is not some, this is not a personal preference of your pastor. This is an order of the word of God. Amen. This is for the Lord's sake. When Peter was saying to have your conversation before the world in such a way as to shut their mouths, he brought up two examples. These are the two examples. Obedience to civil authority. The way we drive. Whether we wear a shoulder harness. Whether we're darting in and out of traffic, laying on the horn at people. All that is just rude and there isn't a thing in the Word of God that you can do to justify that. Every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. And, you know, we run into lots of ordinances, especially in our bureaucratic day, and we're not going to make fun of them either. We're going to do it for the Lord's sake. It's not for their sake. It's primarily for the Lord's sake. Because if we don't do it, we bring disgrace on the cause of Jesus Christ. Because look at verse 15. It says, For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, because if they can ever find us disobeying the civil authority, they will lay that to our charge. And we don't want to go down for that. Daniel, though he was in a pagan empire, what kind of laws do you think he had to obey? Do you think they were a little onerous? Do you think he disliked the ones that went, that, were, that, were, that showed their inferiority to the law of Moses? But yet he kept it. They couldn't find a single thing wrong with him except the matter of his God. And that's the way we want it with us. second category that it brings up, it's having a froward or an obnoxious, perverse, corrupt, difficult boss. Verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. How much fear is all fear? All. All fear. Do you know what that means? Your boss is always right. Your boss is always right. He doesn't need your help. Submit to and obey him. Servants, be subject. That means he's over you. You're under him. You're going to do whatever he says, even though you may know that it's wrong. Even though you may know a better way. Even though you may not like him. Even though he may not have kept his word last week and gave you a day off this week. Even though, in spite of all those things, you're to obey the men that are over you in your employment. This is the word of the Lord. And when you do that on the job, especially in this generation, where everybody complains about their bosses, rebels against their bosses, disobeys their bosses, pilfers on the job, steals time, comes in late, leaves early, talks on the phone... You can make a difference. You can let your light shine and you can be salt in the earth. And it says not only to the good and gentle but also to the forward. You can only show the religion of Jesus Christ when you have a bad boss. Don't come to me and complain about your bad boss because you've just been blessed from heaven with an opportunity to show the glory of God in your life. And that's to obey a bad boss. Obeying a good boss. There isn't such a thing as obeying a good boss. You're along for the ride. He's carrying you in his arms. He's subsidizing your life. It's a bad boss. This is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Just let that verse sink into your heart. This is thankworthy. This is the only kind of conduct that deserves thanks. If when you have a boss that mistreats you out of conscience toward God, you endure his grief, suffering wrongfully. What he's doing to you is not right. But it doesn't matter to you. Because you love God enough and his doctrine that you submit to him anyway. And you endure it. You don't complain about it. You don't go to anyone else and talk about it because you've defeated the whole purpose. You're just a little tiny person with a black heart. You submit for conscience toward God and you endure. Look at the... Look at what he pounds us with. When Peter says to let your light and your good works show, look what he comes up with. Obedience to civil authority. Obedience to a bad boss. And then submission of a woman in the first six verses of chapter 3 to an unbelieving husband. And then a husband toward his wife, the weaker vessel. And how he treats the weaker vessel without being bitter toward her, but dwells with her according to knowledge. Whoa! Peter, be merciful! Be merciful! Are you, do you understand? This is what we get to do before the world. Philippians 2. Philippians chapter 2. The application of today's lesson. How can we be salt and how can we be light? Peter said we can do it by the way we obey government. By the, the way we serve a froward or an obnoxious boss. The way that women submit to their husbands. Even calling them Lord. True holiness is defined with reverence so extreme That Sarah, in her heart, called her husband Lord. Philippians chapter 2, look at this. Verse 15. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Now, do you think this verse might fit our subject for today? It does. It fits our subject. It's talking about us being lights shining in the world. The sons of God, where God can look down and say, look at my son down there. Look what he's doing. Those children of the devil are picking on him, slandering him, reproaching him. But look at the way he's living. Without rebuke. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Do we have to wait for that to come? Or do we have a crooked and perverse nation to do this in? Well, how do we shine as lights in the world in this context? Two things. Lay them on me. From the... What? What? Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Oh, two more. No murmurings. No complainers. No whiners. No negativism. Negativism is of the devil. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything, give thanks. There is no place for whining. Everybody hates whiners. Whiners are worse than pagans. Because pagans hate whiners. Pagans despise whiners and murmurers and complainers. We can't be that way. Do all things. Not just the good things. Not just the things you want to do. Not just the happy things. Not just the prosperous things. Do all things without murmurings. And if you went through life doing all things without murmuring, that is different from the world. That is different from the world. And that is how we are the sons of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. No disputings. Who do you have a problem with in this church? Are there any disputations in this church? Any cold wars? Any conflicts? Any grudges? Any bitterness? Do all things without disputings. There is no place to fight over the little things of life. If you're smacked on one cheek, give them another. Be a glorious man and overlook the faults of others and their transgressions against you. If someone takes If someone wants your coat, go ahead and give them your sweater. Give them your cloak. But don't allow disputings. Wow. I see two more that Paul's given us. Wow. Did Jesus say, I've given you a commandment from the, a new commandment I've given you from the beginning, that ye love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples by the love ye have one to another. I want people to come into this church and know that every single one of us loves every other single one of us. It doesn't say that we love them. It says we love every one of us. And so there's no disputings among us. Love is the, one, love is the commandment emphasized most in the New Testament. And do we practice love toward our neighbors at all times? What's your neighbor? It's anybody that God brings across your path. Is child tra- Specific commandments. Is child training a commandment of the God of heaven? then wherever we go, there's going to be trained children that people are going to say, look at that family. That is crazy. They're sitting at a table with five children, and nobody's throwing food. No children are running around the restaurant jumping on tables. They're not swinging by the drapes. They're not up walking on our Schlotzky counter pushing buttons on the soda machine. They're not taking their greasy little paws that have been mangling cookies and smearing it all over the cookie case. They're not walking along the ledge touching the window so they need to hire a special window washer to handle children. You know, family can, you can just look and see, wow, look at that family. Children are all sitting there eating their food, talking to the parents, talking to each other. A visible demonstration. What is collapsing in our society? Child, the family is collapsing. We can save it. And we, does it doesn't mean a new document on the website. It means wherever we go with our children that they sit and we have a real family in the line of God's word. And you know what? All that is is keeping God's commandment, which is a good work. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Are women in America meek and quiet today? How do we teach them to be meek and quiet? A new document on the website. You should hear how the ones that need a document about me can write me back about some of my Proverbs. Do you think they love me? No. Do you think they want their husband to read what I write? No. No. So how do we do it? Christian women, you have an ornament inside of you that doesn't get dealt with with a mirror. It gets dealt with with God's Word and humbling yourself If you have a meek and quiet spirit in front of the whole world, you will remind the world always, everybody that sees you, of what a real woman is, of what a godly woman is. Look at 1 Timothy 2. I'm sorry that I'm going so long. But you know what? I don't care. Just give me a few minutes. Just think about all the ways that you can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ by your life. You're the only Bible some are going to read, you're the only sermon some are going to hear by the way you live 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 9 and 10 in like manner also the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety there is no such thing in America today shamefacedness knowing their role of submission and failure and weakness shamefacedness and sobriety being sober not giggling cackling joking jesting yacking loud mouths not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, nor are they ostentatious by always wanting to look the best, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. There's a woman. First Peter 3 tells about the meek and quiet spirit that is in the sight of God of great price. How do we teach the world about what a real woman is? It's not sermons in here. It's not you women being real women at home. It's you women being real women when you're out in public. In the way you dress. The way you defer to your husband. The way you speak about your husband. The way that you are gracious to the bumbling, clumsy moose that was the young man that packed your groceries and dropped the eight-pound gallon of jug on your eggs. It's the way you treat him. Instead of biting his head off like the man-eaters that roam our world. Women. You can preach the gospel. You can be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. What's going to stop this society from its decline? There's hardly a woman left out there that dresses right, acts right, speaks right, looks right, and adorns the doctrine of God our Savior. Modesty in your clothing is not just a suggestion or a good idea. It's a commandment of the God of heaven. Cover your bodies up. Quit comparing yourself to the world and thinking that you're modest because you're just a step behind the world. Compare yourself to the standard of previous... If you want to compare yourself to people, I've got a 1902 Sears catalog. Compare yourself to it and make sure that you're close to them. Why would you want to compare yourself to the MTV generation? Why would you want to compare yourself to Britney Spears and the other girls that go nude in public? And think that you're modest. I'll give you a catalog that you can thumb through and look at all the pictures. Yes, you can. Pages and pages. You can look through the 1902 Sears catalog and try to figure out what's happened in just 100 years. Modest. Who's going to put a stop to this world? You know what? I'll tell you something. If if a woman, if a girl, a girl or a woman, has a spirit of graciousness and has the law of kindness in her mouth and dresses tastefully, But modestly, when she's around the Britney Spears, they are condemned by her because they know she is their superior. They all know that. All whores know that the marrying type are their superior. All whores know that guys only want them for one thing and only for a few minutes. And every one of you girls and women have an opportunity to do something, but you're all too chicken. All means some of you. I'm upset at all of us right now, including myself we can do better. We can do better. You have a wonderful opportunity to show this nation what a real woman is all about. What she's supposed to look like. What she talks like. The expression in her face. Her happy and she... Listen, you're never going to get the face to light up until you've got the heart right. So get the heart right and the face will light up. Is there a verse that helps me with this? Eric, come on, lay it on me. No, the one... uh, Proverbs chapter 15... A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. Women, get your hearts right and let it show through in your faces. Show this world what a real woman is. Dressing modestly. Preserving everything for your husband. Rejoicing in your virginity that you are a pure girl instead of the cesspool of the whores and sluts out there in this world. You have an opportunity, women. While while marriages crumble and divorces proliferate, you have an opportunity to practice a godly marriage. A husband loving his wife and a wife submitting to her husband. That is how we protect and preserve marriage and how we purge divorces out of our land. Pilfering time and materials on a job. What's the word in the Bible? Purloining. 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 Taking little things. Well, they don't care if I slip this little $8 calculator home. Or if I take a hammer and add it to my toolbox at home, no one's going to care. No, we never do things like that. And do you know what? When when that example is given in Titus 2, 9 and 10, the example is you can adorn the doctrine of God our Savior by being virtuous on the job. You get there on time. You don't call your wife and yak with her and use up company time for personal business. And on and on it goes. The way people steal from employers today. The Lord's already dealt with it. The Bible's a practical book, isn't it? Titus 2, 9, and 10. I've preached on that one before in detail. A filthy or a foolish mouth. Telling jokes all the time? There's no place for a joke. Really, there isn't a place for a joke. What's a joke for? It's to waste time and be stupid. It just shows that you are stupid. Why are you telling a joke? Say something serious, say something helpful. Say something uplifting, edifying, exhorting, warning, correcting, instructing. Lay some wisdom on us. I'm I'm not mad. I'm just angry at the time. Those are specific commandments, and I just had a few of them. Peter said, submitting to civil authority, obeying a forward boss. Then we saw murmurings, no murmurings, no disputings. We went right down through love women dressing modestly, those are keeping specific commandments, and by those good works, we are a purging effect on the world. We are a preserving effect in the kingdom of God. We are a light of the righteousness, truth, and wisdom of the God of heaven toward all those around us. But there are also fruits and character traits in the Bible, and we ought to think of them. When the Bible says in Galatians 5:22 and 23, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness where's your fruit of gentleness does everybody know you as a gentle person or a harsh person a patient person or an impatient person are you preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in all your actions and in all your words by gentleness do you show gentleness in dealing with your spouse you're gentle you say i'm a man you're going to hell. If you want to defend not being gentle, you're on your way to hell. The Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest man in the history of this universe, and he sits on a white horse dripping with blood. But whenever he dealt with people that came across his path, he was gentle, and he was always gentle. He didn't get angry until he had real enemies to deal with. And then he will tread the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. But until he gets to that point, he is a gentle man, Being gentle takes ten times the strength it takes to be a little child throwing your temper tantrum because you didn't get your bottle on time. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit, and if a man doesn't have any, he can't prove to me that he's even a child of God. He can't prove it to anybody. Do you show gentleness to your spouse? Your children? How about a careless employee? How about a slow waitress? How about an ignorant mechanic? Don't you like those men? This is your trade, buddy. What do you think I brought my car to you for? Are you going to bring yours to me? Can't you figure out what's wrong with my car? Where's our gentleness? Listen, I'm not preaching to anybody that I'm not pounding myself with. What do you think a drive-thru is for? It's to get my food in one minute. And if you take two, you're worthless. That's my flesh. I'm saying it only to help you. You know what gentleness is? It sits there and waits patiently and says some kind word to a person who probably hasn't got one all day. Are you gentle? When the let's see, love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. Oh, what's that last one? Temperance. What is temperance? Self control -control and self discipline. Can we show self control and self discipline all day? Do we show it in our body weight? If we're grossly overweight or substantially overweight, does it show a lack of self-discipline? Every employer in the world says so. Everyone dating says so. It's an opportunity for you to show temperance. How about your appearance? Are you put together well? I don't mean ostentatiously or gaudily. Are you put together well? How about the cleanliness of your car? A neighbor comes running over and says, my car won't start. I need to be at such and such a place. Will you take me? They jump into the passenger seat. Well, before they jump into the passenger seat, they knock off two diapers that are laying there that are, I mean, used diapers. And there's all the clutter from eating at fast food restaurants for the last year and a half. There's papers all over your windshield, and they sit there, and there's a Bible laying on your console. And you say, do you know anything about the Bible? And the person says, I don't want to know anything about the Bible. Just let me out of this pig pen. That's temperance. You're, you know, you're laughing, and I'm not trying to be funny. Have you ever jumped into such a vehicle? Has anybody ever jumped into your such a vehicle? How about when, how about when they say, Take me back, take me to my car, it's on 85, and you take them to their car, and they say, Do you have a jack? Yes. And they open the trunk, and there's more diapers. Your trunk should be clean because sometime you're going to open that trunk in front of someone else that knows you're a Christian. And if, you, if it's a mess, do you know what it says about you? You're intemperate. When your family comes over to your house or friends come to your house, if there's clutter anywhere, if there's clutter, clutter, I mean junk laying around, if you have not kept an orderly house, you are saying you are intemperate. You do not have self-discipline or self-control. You are not diligent. You are lazy. And those things are contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you pay your bills on time or you don't have enough self-discipline to get them paid on time? You always use in the grace period to prove that you're a thief? A grace period isn't when it's due. There's a due date. The grace period is stealing. That's why it's called grace. You're presuming on someone else's grace when you owe it. You know, if a Christian always paid on time, you know what the easiest rule is? The day it comes, the day it goes. The day a bill, uh, day a bill arrives in your mailbox, send it out the same day. Get it back out in that mailbox with a stamp on it. You will feel financial freedom if you're one that's always living to the end of the grace period. You're stealing and you have no freedom. Pay it. Do you know how long it takes to get the next bill when you do it that way? It seems like forever. You know, at times in my life when I haven't paid, but I've been paying in the grace period, I'd often have two bills at the same time. drove me crazy. Why am I getting two bills at the same time? Is this company double billing? No, they're not double billing. I'm just slow paying. There's freedom, brethren. Temperance ruling your speech, controlling your anger. Are you diligent on the job? Are you hardworking? Or are you found often yakking, standing around, water cooler employee, lunchroom employee, breaks? What's a break for? Break on the job. Can't you break on the job? You don't just slow down to 90%? I'm not saying that a break's a sin, but I mean this country wants a break all the time. Do you know what they're doing right now in offices? Do you know they've already put a price tag on all this? They're all sitting around with their market, with their office pools on who's going to win the collegiate basketball championship. March Madness is what it's called. It's literally March Madness. You know, for the month of December, it's bail mass madness. Hardly anybody gives a full day's work in December. Anyone who works around other people knows that. Everything slows down from Thanksgiving to New Year's Day. Christians shouldn't do that. They should always be serving. Is there joy visible in your life so that other people know you're happy? Is your life full of peace in spite of circumstances so that others might ask of your hope? Are you meek so that you don't get ruffled when somebody attacks you? Do you show your love to your neighbor and anybody else God brings along your path? you know how to suffer long? It's called long-suffering. It's also a mark of a child of God. And we need to think about long-suffering. Who causes me to suffer? Traffic lights, hmm. Well, that doesn't mean, I don't have to suffer very long. I just need to learn how to suffer another 15 seconds. And I can have long suffering so that my wife and my children don't watch me sitting there with my blood pressure about to blow the top off my head because a traffic light's a little longer than maybe you think it should be. You know, someone put that thing through a complex Computer algorithm to find out how long your light should be red and the other party's green. Are you willing to sit there and just suffer through it? Long suffering. It applies to people. It applies to our family members. It applies to church members. It applies to neighbors. Long suffering. I have I've, I moved into a new house eighteen months ago. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I promise you in the name of heaven, that I'd have shot the two stinking dogs that live next door, and I wouldn't have shot them once. Or I would have poisoned them with ground glass in their food. This is my flesh. Because they're obnoxious creatures that just yap, yap, yap. Do you know what? With a little bit of long-suffering, I can just about block it out. For me to block anything out is a real victory. Thank you, Lord. My wife knows. She knows because in my weaker moments, I've described how I would do it. And the reason reason I say all... I, w- I wish all of you would get up here and do this once in a while so I wouldn't feel like the only sinner in here. I feel like Judas Iscariot sometimes. That bothers me. That That is so rude to own a dog and let it ever open its mouth one time. They're violating my airspace. I could argue about it and I could preach a message on it at any time. You know, what if I, what if I brought a bugle home and stood in the backyard and just blasted it until their eardrums were bleeding? You know, they wouldn't like that. I'd get in trouble. If I sat in my backyard and shot off fireworks... At all times of day or night, I'd get in trouble. But they can have that stupid dog yapping. Okay, all of that is to point out that I get pretty riled up about it. Other things that get you riled up? The reason I'm telling my story is so that you'll think of one of yours. Can you be long-suffering? This is the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Ye are the salt of the earth. Ye are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let us be the sons of God, harmless, blameless, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom we shine as lights in the world. Let's purge sin. Let's retard its descent so that America won't collapse into total chaos. Let's preserve righteousness and truth and wisdom in the world by living it. Let's show the nation godly women by all of you women taking it upon you, that you get to preach a sermon every time you go in public. By the way you drive, the way you talk, the way you act, the way you respond, the way you dress, the way you smile, the law of kindness in your mouth. You get to preach to the whole world. And let's show them what a real woman is. Let's show them what real husbands are. Let's show the world what real fathers are, real marriages, a real church that loves each other. No disputings, no murmurings, clean tongues, gentleness in all of our dealings. May the Lord help us to that end. And if I've said something about my propensities to wickedness that's discouraged you, just pray for me. Because I haven't touched the dogs, and I actually look forward to them having now. So that I can just show the Lord that he's taught me some measure of long-suffering.